Welcome to the Q Podcast, conversations in digital media where we discuss current trends, valuable tactics, and strategy in a digital marketing space. I'm your host, Zach Hornsey, Director of Client Success here at Q1 Media. Today's podcast is one I'm very much looking forward to putting out for our listeners and our clients. We'll be discussing cannabis, everything from the growth of cannabis in our industry over the past five or 10 years, how cannabis is working in the programmatic landscape, and really what the future holds for it. My guest today is Dustin Hayanati, co-founder, digital director of Artisans on Fire. Hope you enjoy it. Let's enter the queue. Joining me today is Dustin Iannotti, co-founder of Artisans on Fire. How are you doing today, Dustin? Doing great, Zach. Happy to be here. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm, I'm ecstatic about this conversation that we're about to have with you. Um, I've always, I, I see the value and how important the growth of cannabis is in this industry, especially with our business. We work with a lot of clients such as yourself. And I've wanted to do this podcast for so long because I do find that it is such an important topic in the industry now. And it's one of the fastest growing parts of the digital media industry as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah. Cannabis is obviously a super exciting emerging market uh, for all of us in, in marketing and advertising, especially, but really, uh, you know, just for mainstream uh, overall kind of uh, in the world. So, yeah, super happy to be here and wrap with you about it. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So I, I, right off the bat, I want to jump into kind of who you are, how you've got to, uh, you know, bring Artisans on Fire into the light of this industry, kind of, you know, your background and how things are going for you. And, you know, and then from there, kind of jump into, you know, where you've seen the industry in the past, where kind of where it is currently, and, you know, where it's going, but more just learn about you and what you feel and what you think about the industry right now as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got into the cannabis space um, kind of in a backwards way, I guess you could say. Um, I started out as a marketer for the online gaming space. So online poker, online casinos, um, online sports books, things of that nature. And I worked with uh, a lot of uh, celebrity poker players that needed to kind of build their brand. I worked with the sponsors on the other side for a while uh, to work with one of the largest or the largest at the time uh, online poker site. And it was there that I kind of learned, you know, kind of the ins and outs of what I call, um, you know, compliance-based marketing. Because when you are in an industry that uh, has heavily compliant, you know, rules and regulations that they need to follow, it really um, takes a lot of your tools off your tool belt um, when it comes to, you know, what you can use at your disposal to kind of market these things. So for example, um, social media, like because online gaming and cannabis uh, is not federally legal. It is only legal state by state, according to what their state's governing, you know, regulatory body decides um, at, you know, disallows places like Facebook, Google ads, Instagram, every, pretty much everyone with the exception of Twitter, who seems to have a bit more of a lenient stance against it. Um, but uh, they don't allow you to, you know, buy social ads of any kind for any industry that is fully federally legal. So I started there, uh, as I mentioned, in kind of the online poker, online gaming space. And uh, I moved overseas for a while. And I actually moved back to open up uh, the first um, U.S. regulated state legal uh, site in Las Vegas called Ultimate Poker. Um, it was actually uh, run and started by the uh, founders of the UFC, the Vertita brothers. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we worked with them uh, for a little bit over a year and trying to kind of blossom that into a larger entity. Um, but the problem really was 
money that they had invested to get their software ready for national, um, what was expected to be national legislation federally, uh, as I was talking about before, um, it didn't take place in a, in a fast enough time speed. And they had sunk, you know, nearly a hundred million dollars into the marketing and everything else and legislation, they just can't run it because it took too long and there wasn't enough profit being made to continue the site. So at the end of that site, um, I basically went where I had to decide what I was going to do next because I've already been on the you know player side of, of marketing. I'd been on the sponsor side and the online poker side of marketing. And then I was kind of this unique opportunity where I had a little bit of a severance package. And I said, I've always known that I wanted to start my own business. I have a little bit of severance for a few months here. Why don't I just try to see what I can do in a few months, rely on some of the contacts in my network. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just move back overseas. It was a fun time. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I was, you know, traveling the world. Um, it was a great experience for me. So no big deal. You know, I can, I can take five months and see what happens. And, you know, to my surprise, I, I probably that week made about 25, 30 phone calls to a bunch of contacts. And I landed two jobs right off the bat. Um, one of which was a pretty, you know, cool and decent paying gig where I got to produce an online poker uh, TV show. So for CBS. Um, so uh, from there, anyway, as I started to kind of expand what I realized the things that I were getting bites on and, and, and yeses to was all the stuff that was the compliance based marketing, because I was viewed, apparently there aren't that, you know, many people in the world that have that unique experience where they've already gone down all the paths and they've failed and they've succeeded in different places. And they kind of know, you know, the pitfalls to avoid in order to get a brand's, you know, market, uh, you know, to, to mean something. So I started thinking about, you know, well, we know that online poker, you know, makes sense and online gaming and casinos, they're all fall into that. Um, hunting as well uh, was actually one of those two first clients, a hunting technology company and hunting is also heavily regulated. Um, right around the same time, uh, a friend of mine uh, ended up uh, telling me that he was going into the business of uh, starting in a um, cultivation for cannabis. So that was my first kind of taste for it. And I actually very early on pitched him and said, I feel like there might end up being some parallels. And this was before he even opened, but I, I said, there might be a lot of parallels between what you're going to face in the marketing area of your business and what I kind of faced with, you know, online gambling. Um, I feel like it's going to be a lot of parallels. It's going to be heavily regulated. Uh, you're going to be, you know, kind of tied down in certain places like social media, um, I think I can help you. And at the time he was so nervous and, and worried about figuring out how to grow his crop the correct way. He didn't necessarily, you know, even get to the stage where he was thinking about marketing at that time. But about eight, 10 months later, he called me back and he said, you know, uh, all those things you were talking about, I'm, I'm already seeing there's going to be some trouble. Uh, we need someone to come help. And that's how we entered into the cannabis business. And a year after he came to us, uh, it became fully recreationally legal in Nevada. And then our company blew up. Um, you know, while our company had its roots in online gaming and daily fantasy sports and sports betting, cannabis is the thing that kind of, we were there before it even started. And it literally just took off like a rocket where all of a sudden referral after referral after referral, everybody was referring us and saying every other marketing agency that they went to, you know, would try to pitch them on doing all these things that they knew they couldn't do, or if they could do them, there were certain tweaks that would have to be made that would make their campaign so watered down that it wouldn't even make sense, you know, for you to try to build a brand that way. So for whatever reason, or not whatever reason, I mean, they, they realized that I kind of knew the ins and outs of how to make that work. Um, and Artisans on Fire was, even though it was born a couple of years prior, it was really born then uh, when, when recreational cannabis uh, took over. I think that's kind of funny that, and also fitting that 
cannabis kind of feels like it grew out of, you know, online sports betting and out in <laughs> online gaming because, you know, and especially in the, in Nevada of all places, because most people, mm-hmm. when they, you know, when they think about that, the first thing they think about is, oh, of course, Las Vegas and, you know, what right. comes to Las Vegas, you know, casinos, gambling, and then now cannabis mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, they don't call it Sin City for nothing. You know, Vegas uh, and, and Nevada as a whole are smart in recognizing, you know, they're kind of branded themselves as the king of all vices, uh, vice city, as it were. And, uh, yeah. you know, as as such, they have always tried to be at the forefront of regulations when it came to online gambling, online sports betting. They always have. And I think they saw that opportunity to say, why wouldn't we do the exact same thing with cannabis? For a lot of the reasons I mentioned, there are just so many parallels. Um, There's a lot of things, you know, we have our own cannabis governing body that determines what is allowed in marketing, what isn't allowed in marketing, what you can, you know, display in your store, how frequently people will drop in on you to make sure that you're compliant. Um, All these types of things, the same exact things happen in every casino on the strip. So it just made sense for them to kind of make Las Vegas or Nevada as a whole, one of the capitals um, for the industry. Absolutely. And so correct me if I'm wrong. So obviously Nevada being one, but there are 34 states currently in the United States that allow either medicinal or, uh, or, you know, recreational marijuana. Is that correct? It's changing so rapidly as I speak. <laughs> I, I, I want to say 34 is the number that that I uh, would have said as well. Um, but it honestly, you know, just last week there was, you know, reports of another state, I believe, uh, you know, about to come online. So I don't know if that hit yet or not. So 34 sounds about right. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I think recently New Mexico was one that either was close to passing or will pass by the end of the year. So as you can exactly. see, this these states are adopting and, and it's, becoming, you know, bigger and, and, and more, larger every single day. Um, another thing I wanted to discuss with you, and I think that's important for our listeners and, and, and people that, you know, work with you as well, is that cannabis is actually able to run programmatically, correct? That's absolutely correct. And, you know, I, I think it's funny because I imagine that if everybody had kind of looked into that even a couple years ago, that may have still been true. But as, as you kind of mentioned, and and I kind of talked about with my business kind of really blossoming in the last five or so years, um, it basically speaks to the idea that a lot of people just didn't know what was going to be legal, what wasn't. And in the early days of regulation um, for marketing purposes, they were changing those regulations on us. It felt like every couple of weeks, Um, a good example Mm -hmm. there would be, um, in the very beginning, it was kind of a wild, wild west feeling where there had been no regulation about what you can do on billboard advertising, for example. So we were, you know, plastering the city with billboards. Um, then it came down. You can't have any billboard feature cannabis if you're within a certain, you know, I believe I don't remember. So don't quote me on it, but within a half a mile of a school or something like that. Okay. Then it was. Uh, then they changed it. So that, you know, part dropped off. And then it was um, if there are more than 200,000 potential people driving down that street that are under the age of 18. Like it got that crazy and specific. Um, Same. So in terms of programmatic, I don't think they had ever specifically cited whether we could or couldn't until probably very recently when they came out with a little more uh, regulation in regards to digital, um, which they've really, that's the area they have become most lenient on. And I, I think I speak for you and I, when I say thank God, because there are so many other 
kind of seemingly nonsensical uh, regulations that they do apply towards marketing that, you know, the inability to market on digital, um, where you can so highly target uh, exactly the audience you're looking for, uh, it wouldn't have made it would have made less sense than everything else they've ever done. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think it's, it's funny because cannabis is in this state where, you know, who knows, a decade plus ago, we were there with InBev and we were there with potential, right. you know, alcoholic beverages and things like that. And this is like such a fast growing industry. Um, so in the, in the, the area of programmatic, you know, what is offered with cannabis? Is it just, just kind of the standard advertising display video, uh, audio, like what do you, in your, what have you in, in the, in the history of your company, what have you guys run programmatically with a lot of your advertisers? Uh, a lot of exactly what you just said. Um, it's a lot of the display videos. It's a lot of in, um, you know, embedded ads on different, uh, you know, blog networks and, you know, featured content networks. Um, the main thing for us, though, is also uh, what I love about the programmatic is the mobile I identification. So the ability mm -hmm. to track those ads on top of a phone of a user that's walking in or out yeah. of a dispensary or in in and out of an area or a, you know, a mall that may contain a dispensary because that type of knowledge enables you to basically exactly pinpoint who are the customers that we're getting in the door, who are the customers that are currently you know, hovering around our area but haven't yet walked through the door and are they seeing these ads and then is that prompting them to go into the dispensary and potentially make a sale. Um, that type of data, while of course that's useful to every industry, because cannabis is so kind of hands tied in other industries, programmatic becomes one of the top, if not the top, literal key um, kind of way that we can determine, that we can find and speak to our audience. Um, because Google Ads, you know, which a lot of people obviously, you know, covet in the e-com industry and other places, Google Ads does not accept cannabis. You cannot run a Google cannabis ad. Trust me, I've tried. Um, and I have succeeded for varying uh, periods of time until they catch us. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and I think that's exactly extremely important, like you mentioned earlier, is that being able to polygon or be able to see if a user goes into a store and then actually be able to target that user or that person that has attended a certain you know zip code or a certain polygon store yes. or even competitive conquest around other competitors in Nevada or other states and be able to hit those guys to try to then push them over to attend your or enter another store that could be the marker, the advertiser running. Exactly right. And you specifically mentioned kind of targeting, you know, competitor uh, dispensaries and things of that nature. I mean, the things that you can do with a mobile phone with, you know, any other market, you're just not able to do um, in cannabis unless it's programmatic. So programmatic, as I said, you know, it becomes a, it becomes the kind of key identifier of where our customers are going and how to get them to come to us. Absolutely. So why no social media? I guess that's the question. You said you've gotten away with it a little bit in the past, but you know, you, you mentioned earlier, no Facebook, no Google, um, you know, not even some of the major DSPs in the industry, like uh, a trade desk or uh, a Moby, they don't allow it uh, uh, either. So, you know, why, why no social and why no, why none of the major uh, DSPs out there as well? It seems that the kind of bigger, the company is, uh, the more that they follow the rules that are subject to heavy scrutiny. So banks is another area where you actually can't open a bank account if you own a dispensary or a cannabis cultivation. I don't know if you knew that, but you will get Did shut not. down if they 
they find out that you are, um, you know, operating any for if you're it's called plant touching. So if, if for us as a marketer, it's OK because we're not plant touching. But if you're a plant touching cultivation, growing weed or selling weed, you are not allowed to have a bank account at Chase, Wells Fargo, any of the bigs. Um, that's why they have to find alternative banking solutions. Um, so same thing uh, with regards to Facebook and Instagram. They seem to follow a lot of the things that the credit card companies and the banks follow because either A, they have the the relationship with them, or B, they just know that they are already subject to such, you know, drastic uh, government scrutiny over, you know, their privacy laws and all the things we see in the news every day um, with regards to, you know, Apple, Facebook, all those things. So I think that them not rocking the boat in places where they don't have to rock the boat, um, you know, to be honest, cannabis is still emerging. And while it's obviously going to be a multi-million dollar industry in multi-states and eventually federally, um, it's small potatoes to Facebook um, because Facebook has too much to lose. You know, if they got, you know, turned off their ability to run, you know, ads because they were violating some federal law or some federal kind of, uh, you know, agreement they have with different uh, different uh, areas, then they, they, you know, they would lose a lot more than just uh, hurting our industry. They'd be they'd be hurting themselves quite a bit. Absolutely. I really uh, always come back to this when it comes to like CBD and cannabis industry and always say really the powers with the publishers that we've learned and a lot of the CBD and cannabis campaigns that we run is, you know, there, you know, a lot of people say, no, absolutely not. We cannot run CBD or cannabis inventory in our either DSP or, you know, social media. But what we've discovered and what, and, and what we've done with partners such as yourself is that we found the power is with the publishers. If you simply have a conversation, if you have a one-to-one relationship with that publisher, whether it be, you know, anyone out there in the space, like, a, you know, New York Times or somebody like that, you can reach or, you know, a Hearst or a Tegna, you reach out to them and say, what are your what are your guidelines for this? What are your what are you willing to take and what what are you not willing to take? And a lot of the times, publishers will come back and say, "We have no issue with it as long as it's in an estate that it's legal to purchase." You know, we're happy to run that. That's more revenue for us. So always come back to this idea of power, the power of the publishers, and just how powerful it is to reach out to them and ask them, "Hey, are you okay with that?" Because that just continues to that continues to build the programmatic pool that that you have the ability to target, right? One hundred percent. And I think it, it follows the trend of a lot of other things, like you mentioned before, in bed and alcohol, obviously smoking, other things that, you know, are considered, you know, uh, on the fringe or, or vices like sports betting, things of that nature. Um, what I have found is, you know, it, all those industries kind of travel down this similar path where in the very beginning, everybody's waiting for the other company to step in first. Like, oh, man, I'm not doing, I'm, you know, Washington Post here. I'm not I'm not going to feature cannabis unless The New York Times features cannabis. And then The New York Times features just cannabis and they're like, all right, maybe it's not so bad. They're not, you know, facing any flag for it. I guess we can kind of dip our toe in the water. Right. And then all the smaller publishers say, well, if it's good enough for the times and it's good enough for the post and clearly we can, you know, we could feature cannabis. And it's kind of like that snowball, you know, knock on effect, but nobody ever wants to be first because they're afraid of the risk of being associated. Um, when, then you have the alternative networks like Vice that have from the very early days of cannabis, they've had mm-hmm. cannabis featured on their nav bar as one of their key um, you know, sources for, for different customers to come and view content there. And I imagine by the fact that I've seen endless uh, strange and interesting TV shows about cooking with cannabis or testing yeah. cannabis or the most expensive cannabis, where, wherever you go on Vice, cannabis is featured. So it's pretty clear that it has become a moneymaker for them. And I imagine that as other people that are, you know, 
kind of more established. You mentioned like the times and things who also do, by the way, feature cannabis. Um, yeah, the publishers absolutely start to take their lead from the, uh, the bigger companies and they start to say, all right, if it's okay for them, it's okay for me. And, uh, uh, I can even speak to a deal that I've been, uh, kind of brokering in the last couple of weeks with another publisher that is definitely not, uh, necessarily outwardly, you know, they don't have a cannabis content section on their own, but when you speak to them, like, we really want to get in, we know that it's coming and we're going to be left behind if we don't get in now. And those are conversations that even two years ago, if I tried to have that conversation with a publisher, most of the time I would be met with, I mean, I don't personally have a problem with it, but I don't think I can get my manager to sign off on it. So, or, you know, the owner to sign off on it. So I just don't think we're going to be able to do something now. All of a sudden those guys are calling us and saying, we want to get in. Do you guys have clients with money to spend? No, absolutely. And, you know, some other sites, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm a stats guy. So some other sites that do absolutely allow programmatic are Newsweek, USA Today, Huffington Post, Politico, ESPN. Some of the biggest, baddest guys in the industry are willing to take this. And that's that's where it's powerful for a company like QA Media, for somebody like yourself, is that you know that you can hit the audience that you want to hit on the best, most premium sites out there in the industry. So it's not just a hard no anymore when it comes to cannabis or CBD. It's it's the birth of programmatic for cannabis and CBD now. And where I'd like to transition now is how, how high can this go? I know obviously in 2020, we saw, I think the industry saw something like 18 billion in sales predictions are, you know, 24 billion potentially in 2021, you know, where with the birth of this programmatic space for cannabis and CBD, how high does it go? And, you know, to finish this year and in the future with programmatic being such a key point for in advertising. I, I honestly don't think there's any limit. I think that, you know, what people kind of don't get and eventually, you know, and part of my job as an educator and marketer um, in the space is that a lot of people liken cannabis, you know, strictly to alcohol. It's another, it's just another vice and things like that. But I actually think that there's something different going on in the cannabis space in particular that's going to be very good for, you know, people like Q1 and people like artists what I like to call the whole foodsification of weed, which is, you know, they've never been able to market alcohol as having any uh, properties that are helpful or beneficial to people in any way, shape or form. But I can think of, you know, uh, three different examples. You know, the mom that puts their kids to bed and needs to figure out a way to wind down and relax after a really hard day of taking care of the kids and probably her job as well. Um, the 30-year-old business professional that is just grinding himself to the bone and then needs to come home and relieve his anxiety. The uh, you know, elder senior citizen with joint pain that has tried everything under the sun to, you know, get relief from that. And with the exception of Percocets that have terribly addictive properties and, you know, could potentially even cause death, um, go to cannabis because they realize, wow, this is actually a solution that, you know, isn't necessarily uh, directly harmful to my body. Uh, there are no known reports of people dying from any overdose or things like that, which you can't say the same for any of those painkillers. Um, as those things start to happen, that's what I call the whole putification of weed, because as it comes out of the street corner and into the mom's, you know, living room or kitchen, you know, as it were, um, it's about educating people on the idea that this actually shouldn't be compared to alcohol. It should be compared to some of those nutrition bars or other type of, you know, things that are sold at Whole Foods. It's a, it's a thing where you can use it to relax and it could be nothing more than that, but there's also some, 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 uh, potential benefits to your health, uh, that can happen. And I think once that takes place and that's fully recognized now, mind you, that may be another 10 years before we've fully recognized that entire experience. Uh, 
but it's different than smoking and it's different than, or, or rather it's different than nicotine and smoking and, uh, and alcohol. It's, uh, it's, it's something different. So I don't think there is a necessary uh, end to the height at which it can grow. Yeah, I think it's the education of the public that's obviously going to be vital for this, but also I think, you know, in the industry as well. And, you know, the education of, of, of the, you know, smaller to larger, you know, cannabis uh, companies out there knowing that, hey, you know, we actually can put money in the advertising space now, whether it be direct or programmatic, and we can actually grow our business this way because in the past they haven't been able to do that. So I think that's what's important about this podcast and speaking with you is that cannabis is available now programmatically. Obviously, you find the partners that are the right fit for you and your company to reach out to and work with, such as yourself and Q1 Media. And, you know, and how large the targeting capabilities are, like we mentioned earlier with competitive conquesting or polygon targeting, things like mm-hmm. that, hitting hitting great areas that they can help grow their business, especially coming out of a pandemic and now being able to start advertising and, and hit their key audience. Uh, I, w- I kind of wanted to put you on the spot here because I really would like to kind of understand if you, you might have a case study on, you know, obviously you guys uh, have a lot of products or, you know, market a lot of products like a Dreamland chocolate you know, what's a, do you have a case study or just a, you know, a one-off example of a successful programmatic campaign that you potentially ran with one of your, uh, one, one of your advertisers? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I have a programmatic campaign that I'm running right now for a dispensary. And, um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, it took about three months to get all the data necessary for us to really be able to see the device IDs that I was mentioning earlier. So the mobile targeting and how, you know, hyper-specific we got with, uh, you know, targeting some of our competitor, uh, you know, uh, non-clients, so to speak, and their dispensaries and getting them over. And I can tell you that they raised their average ticket price by 24% uh, in 90 days. And they raised their average uh, through the door um, customers by 14%. And these are numbers that I know you know are, those are massive numbers. Like yeah, you can't, absolutely. you know, you if you if you told someone they can raise their their revenues or, or their ticket average per customer uh, 24% in 90 days, whatever it is you're selling, I'm buying it, and so are they. Uh, so I think that the reason, you know, as we talked about, a lot of these other networks don't, um, you know, allow for this stuff, whether it's social ads or it's Google ads or whatever it is. That's kind of the funny thing. Not only does programmatic have the hyper targeting, you know, ability to do exactly what a dispensary or a product might need done. They also are first to market kind of in a way um, or not in a way. I mean, they are They're first to market their market forward where they're saying, you know, we accept cannabis. We're getting our partners or publishers involved with accepting cannabis. And, you know, you have the opportunity to to have these massive results. And I think that's why um, those numbers are so large because there's no other thing crowding the space um, competing with it. Absolutely. You know, you see the success in traditional marketing and now you see the success in non-traditional marketing, you know, and, and they, they really come hand in hand, especially when you're able to, you know, add the layer of targeting and, and programmatic and things like that. Uh, well, Dustin, man, thank you so much for your time. I think that the, the real importance of, of you know, this podcast is explaining out there that, you know, cannabis is now available programmatically. A lot of it has to do with the publisher. The publishers are accepting cannabis ads. They're willing to take them, the targeting that is available to them and just continue the education out there for, you know, other people in the industry understanding that, Hey, this is going to be a, 
pretty substantial part of the advertising industry moving forward for a long time as it continues to be adopted by more than the 34 states we mentioned earlier. And, you know, that's growing every single day. You know, uh, I want to tell everybody they can, you know, reach out to you on artisansonfire.com, you know, look you up on LinkedIn. And, you know, obviously you're a really great partner here at Q1 Media. So I appreciate the time. We look forward to continuing the partnership, but also hopefully being able to bring some more people to the table for both of us and, and continue the education and the growth of what is cannabis programmatic. I can tell you, uh, I can definitely tell you, I will have no shortage of uh, clients knocking down my door trying to uh, make these deals happen after they hear a little bit about that case study I just mentioned. So uh, yeah, I think we're going to do yeah. some more business together. Absolutely. I think that's a key highlight for this as well as that case study just shows how powerful what you're doing it really is and you know how powerful this industry is going to be moving forward. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more, Zach. All right. Thank you so much. Great talking with you. Pleasure. You as well.